This is a live episode of my podcast. With audio inconsistencies. I want to make sure that I have the disclaimer play as well as my introduction. Every single episode starts with an intro and a disclaimer no matter what. We try to set the tone for listeners so that they know what they're getting into. So the disclaimer and the intro was released four hours ago, but I'm going to play it again here just to get the room set the way that it should be. <clears throat> Sounding a little bad, but hey, 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 I'm Ashley, your favorite foreign Korean music historian, and super excited about tonight's episode. This is the first time in the history of a three-day sister show where an episode is not only live, but also hosted on Twitter spaces. And Twitter recently announced that podcasting will have a home on the app, so I feel like I'm ahead of the curve by a matter of hours. That aside, I'm very excited to have you here and to listen to some of the stories that'll be shared this evening. So I'm dropping the disclaimer now, just so you know what to expect for the show, and I look forward to kicking it with y'all this evening. Bye, y'all. Before the episode begins, here's a quick disclaimer. This is the unruly Hallyu sibling of an album a day. Opinions, commentary, and content will vary. Special guest hosts are here to enjoy a free space to share their thoughts with you, the listener. If you want a trusted formula, then please enjoy an album a day. If you're open to a mixed bag, well, buckle up for this. This is a three-day sister show. Random musings start. I'm going to take you through a little bit of magic that's near and dear to my heart and definitely something that I feel like should always be talked about when we're talking about the history of music and whatnot when it comes to Korea. So at the time of this recording, there are a total of six active museums in South Korea solely in celebration and historical cataloging of their nation's music and one for world instruments. These museums are the Seoul Museum of Korean Folk Music, the National Gugak Museum, the Nangye Korean Classical Music Museum, the Museum of Musical Instruments of the World, and the privately owned K-pop museum, Gyeongju Branch. There are also three indefinitely closed ones, including the Museum of Traditional Korean Music. Aside from the relatively newer privately owned attraction, two popular entertainment stops in South Korea for music lovers that are indefinitely closed were a sight to behold. Thus, this episode is an honor and anticipation of the return of the K-pop catalog originator, and the premier label-specific collection. This episode is entitled Memories of SM Town Museum and Play K-Pop. And I'll give you a little history and narrative, but this is intended to be about more than just my outlook. So I hope that some of you listening in will share your stories too. So let's get things established the right way first by going through the history. Now, in 2015, which wasn't that long ago, SM Entertainment opened SM Town Coex Atrium in the heart of Cognom District. It was flanked by Samsung World Trade Center, Starfield Shopping Center, and the iconic Book Lovers Delight Starfield Library. You know the one, that ultra-high-curved bookcase you've seen in pictures? SM Town Museum was well-suited for the space. Every fiber of SM Entertainment's music history well, almost every fiber, but we'll get into that. Nonetheless, you could watch videos, you could see artist catalogs, dine on themed snacks, and if you were lucky, see the artists on the label coming to do their work. Most everything was interactive and every visit was a chance to see new additions. Before it was established, however, in August 2013, SM Entertainment announced via Korean news site Olsen that they would open the museum in Los Angeles. 
For now, the facade of 607 South Oxford Avenue in Koreatown, LA remains a billboard for SM. The excitement of the Korean facility came to a screeching halt when the label announced in May 2020 that the facility would close due to the rental agreement expiring. Now, most had no idea that the space was rented to begin with and not under the financially stable aspect of the label. That aside, SM Town Museum supposedly will return in a new location, likely closer to the current SM Entertainment offices. Now, off the mainland of South Korea on Jeju-do, or Jeju Island, there lived Play K-Pop. It was established the same year as SM Town Museum, and it was, quote, founded as a multi-purpose tourist destination with support from the Ministry of Science, ICT, and Future Planning. That's also known as the MSIP, as mentioned in its official press release. Given the time that it was established, the international boy band to behold was still Big Bang, and that was before controversy did them in as we've known them. So YG Entertainment had quite a bit of its memorabilia in that place. It wasn't centering them, however, by adding them to the echelon of artists who helped shape popular music and culture in South Korea as it had been known up until that point. Any aspect of popular music, from early day influences by way of cultural exchange and war, to the smash hits of decades gone by, and it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing to see. It, however, closed its doors November 2019 and said on its website that it would return. I don't believe the website is running at this time, to be honest, and the K-pop museum on the mainland has basically picked up its mantle. Now, let's be real, since we're talking facts, K-Star Road, similar to Hollywood's Walk of Fame, JYP Entertainment's Cafe, and Hybe's impressive museum are national attractions to see. The work done on Hybe's facility alone, that's more than enough to entice many to experience it. However, these attractions are included for one reason. Much like SM Town, they are label specific. They were not the first major entertainment labels. It's undeniable that they impact South Korea in more ways than just financial gain. Influence is influence. We know what we know. And since we know what we know, we know that SM Entertainment started this conglomerate experience on February 14, 1995, setting the standard that has been replicated emulated and manipulated ever since. So now let's get on to the commentary. These places were incredible. And if you had the opportunity to actually go in there and see them for what they were, oh my gosh, the accessibility and the breadth of stuff that was in there is just insane. Going to SM Town, being in an area that most of us became familiar with because of a song by Psy, <laughs> you get into this place it's expensive looking AF. Everything that you could ever imagine from every video from every single SM artist was right there in your face. If going to KCON or going to a concert is the equivalent of your playlist or YouTube coming alive, this was a, a mind bender. The walls were decorated with photos from all of the artists at any point in time in their careers. You could see costumes and influences of how they came up with the decorations for sets, all kinds of things. And being able to be there and you don't know for sure if you're going to walk in and a member of Red Velvet or NCT is out in the atrium getting ready to sign autographs or, or do a fan greeting. It was just, it was wild. It was wild. And to never know what you would expect made it even more exciting. 
once you actually got into the museum, there was a space that had every single album ever printed for you to be able to look at. And I mean, every single one. It didn't matter if it was like a a short end image where they might have only printed a thousand of them with this particular photo card in it or if it was something that had five different covers it didn't matter the only thing that was not in its complete reflection was that of tvxq tvxq what we know it as now as a two-member group definitely was not what it was when it started so you have a portion of their history there, not all of it. And it's relatively offensive because you see that they began in 2003 after the timeline and it abruptly stops and then it picked back up to when the whole group turned into only two members. That, especially if you were a longtime fan of that group when they were the original collective versus what they are now, and it's nothing wrong with what they are now, but when it was five of them, Seeing that is a slap in the face. You knew your group had five members and now they are only talking about two. So you could get your hands physically on every single album that was ever printed and pressed up. Every single one. You could look on the walls and see wallpaper of every single album. You could go into certain areas and be able to see live performances, such as the one that I laid out in the middle of the floor and started crying because it was shiny when it would still all of them together. There were also virtual concerts and movies that were SM focused, SM artists only and or actors, because not everyone who's at SM is an actor, even though a music video to an extent is demanding a little bit of acting of you. Um, but it was all kinds of things. This used to be a place where if you weren't coming to see the exhibitions, you were coming for merchandise. You were coming for group branded merchandise. You could get XO potato chips, red velvet makeup cases. You could also get posters that were larger than life. Move through the posters not knowing which image would be next and screaming at it. And everyone who was there totally understood why you were screaming. You were not alone in your excitement. Other people could relate to it completely. It was liberating as a K-pop fan because no matter where you stand or where you came in, at some point you're going to cross into the threshold of SM. If not by their artists, then by the influence of what the label has done and earlier. Going to play K-pop, that's more so for a music nerd. There were old radios there and a histrionic from, I believe 1940 or 50, where it wasn't an ounce of English in any of the pop music. And then you slowly start to see these murals transition in language where a lot of English is inputted because of the influence of music that was from other nations, other countries coming in by way of cultural exchange, cultural force and or war. You saw Trot, which was the thing, start to evolve into something a little bit more Americanized, a little bit more UKized, and it's grown and grown and spurred into what it is now. You could see some of the costuming and news articles from hit tracks from decades gone by, and it was just rich with information, such as the top number one song over the span of 60 years or something of the sort. It had a different taste, a different flavor than that of SM Town. 
if you like SM artists and you like current pop music, then that appealed to you. But if you are a music nerd, a music junkie, then without a shadow of a doubt, play K-pop was the thing to experience. And since it was somewhere not necessarily known as just a random stop, you had to make an actual journey to get to Jeju. And you get there and you go past the other museums like the Teddy Bear Museum and you get to this one. You feel that it was celebrating the history of what music has done in the entire country. And now that that's gone, although there is the K-pop museum, that's privately owned, meaning that the person in charge of it can curate and share whatever he decides he wants. And I don't know if that's always going to reflect the integrity of what the previous one did, but it's not up for me to decide. And at this point, it's not even up for me to talk about this solely. I'd love to hear from anyone who has either experienced SM Town Museum or play K-pop, or you have questions about things that were in there or things that you've seen in pictures. Now is the time for the episode of this podcast to integrate you into the folds instead of it just being my voice. Hello there. Please introduce yourself to everyone and share your thoughts. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Carolyn. I'm a film critic and journalist. Hey, Ashley. But I'm also a huge fan of K-pop and K-dramas. So I've never been to um, SM Tom Boohoo or to <laughs> Pop Top. But my question was going to be for uh, any of, well, I would guess it was applying only to SM um, Tom. Like, did they ever have any like special fan signings? There were the fan signings only for like special events outside of the museum. Like, did they have opportunities where you could come and meet the stars or... or you ever have seen and randomly saw one of the artists just like walking around, like asking like regular people, you know how it is. <laughs> there, were, there were opportunities for them to have fan signs and fan interactions, but usually they were outside the coex. So the way that the building was set up, you had the massive museum, which was multiple floors. I do believe, and I could be so dead wrong, but I believe it was five floors. And there was a bit of a an outdoor atrium where the cars could pull up and whatnot and drop the idols off to be able to go into another part of the facility that the common ticket holder couldn't access. But occasionally they would do things in that area. Um, I do believe there had been in the past with EXO particularly some events within the fan cafe, but ultimately they kept the museum as an experience in and of itself because it was just so much stuff and they kept the idols outside to get you more excited about going in. Now again, there could be someone who had went and was like, no, in, and this is what was going on. But of the time that I was there through the span of 2016 to 2019, I don't actively recall there being an event inside for all fans to be able to access as the same as it was being outside and having an update from the fan cafe that you should be able to come out and meet up at this moment. That's a great question, though. I really like that. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Jay, are you present? Would you like to share some things? Make sure to introduce yourself to everyone. Hello. Yes, I am here. Uh, hello, my name is Jay. I am content creator here on the sphere of social medias, I should say. I am also a writer and the outreach director for The Craze Magazine, and as well as a podcast host for The Craze Cat. And... Um, on my very first trip to Korea, um, I didn't know exactly what was the itinerary or plan or whatever, but 
I knew once I got into Seoul, I was just like, I remember passing by the building and I, I told my relatives who were living there at the time, I was like, I have to go there. I have to go there now. <laughs> like, so we made it a whole deal and I could, I didn't get like tickets to access any of the other floors per se. Um, and I just remember walking into the merchandise area, seeing big pictures of the, I think the picture that they had of EXO was during their overdose era. So uh, it was a big mural. And, um, I, I remember distinctly also, uh, tagging Ashley in a photo because this is the first time I ever went there. If you know Ashley for a long time, she has a phrase called touch his face (laughs) and it's touching Kai's face. Anyways, um, also getting to see a picture of OTT5 Shiny when all of them were together and just walking into that room. And this was also in the time of when EXO's Power was just released. So that was the biggest thing, walking into the store. Their albums were completely sold out because I tried to get my hands on one. Impossible because they're like, we're sold out and we're going to be sold out for a while. And one thing to walk when you're walking around the floor and looking at merchandise, there's like placeholders of autographs lined in between merchandise items. Like it's just there. The thing where you like stand, whichever, um, and just being able to pick up items and just see autographs and realizes like um, there was autographs from Luhan and Schumann and like, and they're all placed in different places and they're not within their respective groups so it was kind of like a scavenger hunt of finding like oh whose signature is this um going back to Ashley's point picking up albums that you didn't think that you could get I picked up the TVXQ keep your head down album at that store and it's one of my favorite albums of TVXQ it's right when they became a duo left a lot long-lasting impression of me and just also being in a place of There's so many things I want to buy you all, but don't have money. But just still being in that space of like, wow, this is something more tangible. It's not something you can see through pictures or YouTube video or vlog, whichever. Being there in that moment was wild. And I I think I spent a good couple hours just roaming around because I didn't know what I wanted to buy because I had a limited budget at that time. And so being able to experience that and then walking around and seeing other people there. And then, I mean, Koreans who are like, there's a foreigner in here, but I appreciate you for being here because they understand somewhat to an extent like, oh, you you like this too. And they don't necessarily question you about it. And they, if anything, they'll tell you like, oh, like it's here, you can go there in terms of like, how fans were polite enough to do that there. And then you just can see them. They're all freaking out about something or fangirling. And they're like, oh my God, this piece of merchandise is here. So I just, I'm kind of sad it's no longer there because people won't get that kind of experience that we had going there to visit. And I really hope that they do come back with it because it's such a nice place to see. And I wonder how it would look like now, now that we have groups like ESPA and all the other NCT units. And I mean, back then the NCT units were much smaller. So what a time, just what a time to be there. That makes my heart so happy. (laughs) Just being able to hear about it and how it was 
it, man, it was just, it was definitely fun. Definitely fun. Thank you for sharing. Carolyn, did you want to circle back before I go to the next person? What would you like to share? Oh, um, I was just going to say um, the same thing that she mentioned at the end, like what would the museum have, what would it be like now? in 2022, 2023, 24, because you have groups like ASPA and you know, we have that there's a whole choir um, experience. Now I can, I can picture Isuman and his crew be like, okay, or I should say his son, cause his son is in the UNL, just creating like a virtual, a room, just like a VR room experience for ASPA. And I would say probably maybe even Kai's um, first album because like, his album actually, I think out of all of them, his album is one of closest, closest, most closely ties into choir. And like, if they did like a VR room experience for videos that like Taman's advice, because I think that video itself would actually work really good as a VR experience. And Kai's and Key's out, Key's Bad Love album or whatever it is he's doing with his gasoline album, that is, I would do a VR. I don't do VR because I have like like sensitivity and vertigo and all that kind of stuff. But I would do a VR experience of whatever it is Key is doing with his gasoline album. So I would love to see what they did like with NCT and NCT got all of these offshoots of these of these new groups and everything that's happening. Like I think they probably kicked themselves in 2021 when they saw how big K-pop is coming out, especially in North America. Don't let that necessarily influence how things are now. But I would love to see if I would love them to do a VR experience for sure. Great contribution. Thank you. Hi, my name is AJ and I host Stay at Home Binge Podcast. Basically, it's a podcast where I binge live television shows and suggest what you might want to binge. I do regular shows. I do K-dramas. I do kind of the whole gamut. Um, I guess my question, and I kind of got the hint from um, Jay a little bit, but even for you, Ashley, too. Um, I've been to Korea a couple of times and I kind of always shied away from going to the museum because I wasn't sure if it leaned more on a kind of money grab, like almost, I guess for lack of a better term, Disney experience, or did it lean more towards the the traditional sense of a museum like you're being kind of educated on the history of K-pop? There was an interesting blend of it, to be honest. The history was there, but it wasn't presented to you in a way where it was like, and now we're transitioning over into this era. This is when FX came. They assume that you attending already know. And yeah, there were some cash grab moments because it's a museum and it was by a conglomerate, a massive company. But you still did get some historical aspects of it, particularly when a group was considered to be new. They would have an area off to the side that would give you the trajectory of them. Case in point, if you all look for my priority podcast, An Album a Day, you look for special episode part one, SM Town Museum, which was recorded October 7th, 2019, literally right before they announced this bad boy was going to close. <laughs> Just looking at it time-wise. Um, there was an area where they gave you the full history of NCT as it was at that time. And you find out that there is a leader that we're all aware of. The very first member ever of NCT was Johnny. And being able to do that, they already assume that you know who these artists are and what their impact is, but they they want you to be able to put the pieces together on your own. I wish it would have had a distinct exhibit. And to an extent it did in the, uh, the theater, but it wasn't diving deeply into the history it would give you a performance or some reference points in that regard it's a dope question thank you jay what would you like to share before we move over to Leica? 
I just wanted to quickly ask, correct me if I'm wrong, Ashley, wasn't the theater also, like, jumping back to what Carolyn asked, like, didn't the theater involve, like, holograms and having performances that way? It did. It involved holograms both at SM Town, which they were huge, and then also Play K-Pop had a hologram theater as well. The hologram experiences were different at both. Virtual concerts are not new to Asia. They are most certainly something that was solidly established already by Japan. We're not going to discredit the impact of that, nor are we going to ignore the fact that Korea already had a virtual artist many decades before a spa and things of that sort but we're not talking about that history right now that's for another day but (laughs) there were holograms there so i can only imagine what it would be like now miss laika who took on the heavy duty responsibility of hosting episode nine of a three-day sister show earlier today laika would you please introduce yourself and share your thoughts Hey y'all, it's Catch Girl Lakey here. I'm uh, currently driving home. What's your favorite part of each of the museums? Um, I'll start with Play K-Pop. My favorite thing... Man, my favorite thing about Play K-Pop, we're just thinking about it right now, just takes my breath away. There was, when you got past the immediate stuff that we were already familiar with historically, and you got to the second floor, you made this right-hand turn and it was just wall-to-wall records and CDs and tapes and eight tracks from every aspect of Korean pop music. It literally took the breath out of me. I was so I love music. And if it's not evident in the way that I talk about it, it's a phenomenal creation that we have this amazing capacity to 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 create. And to see that much of it historically in one area, you could smell the oldness of it. It was just, it was mind-blowing. Artists I had never heard of, albums I knew I was going to talk about eventually because of my podcasts, um, music that will never be heard by Western audiences because it's no longer attainable, nor is it on streaming. That was a lot for a music historian such as myself to take in. At SM Town, mm, the most immediate thing that comes to my head are the lanyards. Every time you go, you had the choice to pick a new lanyard as your ticket of admission. And I picked FX. I loved those ladies. And I picked it right before the passing of one of their members. And that is the last thing I have where it it feels like it was a part of them. Second to that is being able to see everything from shiny, no matter what fan base you're a part of, or if you're just a passive observer, you have very little negative to say about shiny. They are solidly respected across the board and being able to see their content. And Jung Hyun was my bias. Um, touch my spirit in a, in a very special way. We spend a lot of time as humans uh, battling and struggling with our humanity and what our purpose is and things of that sort. All of this extra lofty, spiritual, ethereal thing. And his legacy was literally tangible and right there. And it touched my heart in a way I can never fully put into words without getting emotional. Aside from those heart-touching or breathtaking things, the humor of finding uh, 
a certain Super Junior member's signatures all over the doggone building. <laughs> Just like Jay shared, there was a bit of a scavenger hunt for the fans. Choi Siwon signed all kinds of stuff. The wall, his pictures, anything that was Super Junior and had him tied in, you could find his signatures. And that was hilarious to me. Thank you for asking, Leica. Let's touch base with HD. HD, please unmute yourself, introduce yourself to the audience and share your thoughts. I don't want to tell you anything. I actually, I wanted to go to the SM Town Museum because I live in like a country where it's like super, super close to South Korea, but unfortunately it's closed. I had two questions. One, will they ever like be any plans to like open up another one or like something that, that's similar to SM Town Museum? Because I saw like they may open up like one, but I'm not sure if that's true. Does anyone have any information on that? Certainly. We all have limited information on it, unfortunately. When it comes to SM Town on May 17th, 2020, they tweeted, and you can find the SM Town Museum tweet if the account is still live, but they tweeted both in English and in Korean, uh, quote, thank you for your interest and support for the past six years. SM Town at Coex Atrium business will end as following due to the expiration of the rental agreement. We will see you again in a new location in the near future. Thank you, end quote. And we had nothing else. However, as early as January of this year, speculation that SM Town Los Angeles was still in development, that's been a decade-long process. They do have ownership or at least long-term renting of a facility in Koreatown, LA, but we don't have anything more concrete beyond that. It does make sense to speculate that what they build and develop will be close to the newer SM Entertainment offices. Um, you can find credible quotes, not just from their Twitter account, but from Soompi. That is a, an account that I would encourage you to check out, as well as Craze Magazine. Um, regards to Play K-Pop, they said that they would be back at some point this year. However, I'm not so certain that's going to be successful, given the circumstance that the K-pop museum exists, it's going to be really hard to compete with. They had the same stuff. So we don't necessarily know what's going to happen with both, but it's a higher probability that SM Town will come back at some point somewhere. Great question, HD. Okay. okay. Um, well, because I don't know what play K-pop is. I'm more familiar with SM Town Museum and like I always wanted to go there. So I'm just like, yeah. oh, well, it is what it is. And like now that I'm just like, I mean, I guess it will come back eventually. I think it will just take some time because like like museums, they take a lot of planning and like, yes. I guess um, there's a lot of like work that's got to be put in because you can't just be like, oh, I'm just going to open up a museum. Like, no, it's very like a series and like things have to be planned out and like stuff needs to be done. The second point I had was about Shiny. When you actually like got to like the museum itself and you like got, were there like actual dedicated like floors dedicated to shiny or were there like actual like sections where it's like just shiny stuff because I watched like when I think it was like one of their videos back in when I was first getting into them and then they actually went I think this was story of light era they actually went there and then I was like wow this museum looks so cool I really 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 want to go and like let's go I'm like oh gosh so I just wanted to ask like what did they have for shiny because I love like I guess uh I'll say everybody is of town, not everybody, but like most, but like shiny, I'll say like, that's where I wanted to go because of like the shiny exhibit. So how was your experience there? Shiny had a, a 
solid presentation uh when you get past the area in the the old museum where all of the albums and uh were and whatnot you could travel to different floors some people had sections where some had a whole they pretty much had a whole floor and theirs was heavily themed around uh, uh married to the music and it, it just it was cool to be able to be so close to everything and see all of their uh images and clips from the videos that you didn't know about <laughs> so that stuff was very cool ironically despite the fact that they were a big deal and most certainly were and you could take interactive images with them as well like if you stood in certain places and you used your smartphone and scanned the qr code then all five of them would come and huddle around you and take photos with you that you could purchase when you were leaving um <laughs> which was so cool but the person who had the smallest exhibit was Boa, which is insane because her and TVXQ are the backs on which SM Town was built. So although there were artists before them, we're not going to minimize those legendary groups. What we know these labels to be now and what we know SM Town to be now was because of TVXQ and Boa's efforts. But she had a corner, which I don't understand. So they had... um a live performance area dedicated to Shiny where you could sit and watch uh, the live performance of everybody from one of their Korean concerts. And it was, it was incredible. Like that's, it was, it was a lot. <laughs> I did a lot of crying, um, a lot of crying. <laughs> so they had quite a bit dedicated to them. They most certainly acknowledged the impact of those amazing men. Those are great questions, HD. Thank you for sharing. Hello, good evening, everyone. Sorry about, I don't know which part it cut off, but I was asking about Play K-pop and if they had, like, the history about, like, you know, so Teiji and SM, like, who is the true founder, the true, quote-unquote, godfather of K-pop. Yes, because they did. on here and on other places, they were saying two different things. From what I remembered, like, BTS fans were saying Soteji was and like K-pop people like outside besides BTS fans were saying it was SM so I need to know the clarification because I know like Soteji is like a big figure I know YG was like had some dealings in that if he was in the group he used to work for them or with them or something I just want to know who's the true quote-unquote godfather of K-pop. Certainly. Well, the true godfather or the true founding group of it, that's a little contextual. Yes, they were in 1992, which predates SM Entertainment. So they were a solid foundation and they definitely influenced a lot of the hip-hop boy bands. However, they're not necessarily the first. YouTube did a special that acknowledge the groups that even predated that. So when you want to think about the idol groups as they are, what we know them to be, um, yeah, you could say it was his group, but he was more of a focus on the hip-hop style, whereas K-pop Evolution, which you can watch on YouTube, it acknowledges and predates even 1992's group a tad bit contextual that's the safest answer and when you're dealing with fan bases anyway sometimes you can have all of the facts in the world and it still won't matter people gravitate to what their heart and mind cleave to we know that in and out of pop culture 
if you know what you know and they know what they know, both can be true, but numbers don't lie. Men lie, women lie, numbers don't lie. And 1992 will always predate anything that came before the 2000s and the, the 2010s and the 2020s. So I hope that puts you in a safe space of an answer. But if you want to get even more detailed about it, you are more than welcome to tweet me. I am more than happy to create a paper trail for this conversation. <laughs> 106 and Eve's bestie is in the house. Would you like to unmute yourself and introduce yourself <laughs> to the audience? <laughs> oh, God. Um, hello, everybody. Um, my name is Mars. And yes, I am Eve's bestie. Um, now, when you say anyway. bestie, are you talking about Eve and Luna? Yes, 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 yes. Me and her had a few moments at the concert a, a few nights ago, and you know, me and her, we just, we just kind of clicked, you know, being, you know, the bad bitches of our like crews. But I'm happy to be here with you and everyone else. Hi, Carrie, what's up? I I'm love happy. that, and I love that you were able to go to the concert and actually have an enjoyable experience. No mustiness, no visibility issues. <laughs> so so much more to tell you about about there was one at the concert, but I'll tell you about that later. <laughs> I am all ears later. Season two has more episodes in store for you throughout September, everyone of A3 Day Sister Show. And an album a day turns later next month. So until the next episode, I want to give a special shout out to my Patreon patrons who keep my vision of becoming your favorite foreign Korean music historian exploring all the industry from A to Z a real thing. If you're interested in supporting the growth of my content, please visit patreon.com slash A3DayPodcast. And for as little as $1 a month, you'll have access to my Discord, weekly posts, and more. Now, if you're interested in continuing and supporting me at the free 99 price, I love you for it. Tweet repost and share the show and use hashtag A3Day or hashtag A3Day Sister Show. And please consider leaving a few stars or a review on your favorite podcast platform or on Podchaser. I appreciate you all for kicking it with me for 50 minutes this evening. And if you would like to continue the conversation, I encourage you to do so by tweeting me. Have a great evening, great afternoon, great day, wherever you are. Bye, y'all.